Welcome back. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast. Ooh. And today I have a legend in the making, a specialist psychologist, psychotherapist, <laughs> mental health leader. Um, we have Ngozi Cadman. Yes. Okay, okay, feel, feel free to introduce yourself because you have loads of titles, so feel free to, to start. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Ingozi Kadmes, I'm a mental health and leadership expert, and I'm a qualified psychotherapist, social worker, and business strategist. Ooh, all these titles in one, and your business just hit seven figures. No, not yet. Six figures. Yeah, multiple. Multiple, multiple. So trying to get to the seven figures. Oh, uh, almost there, which is so, which is incredible, by the way. Just like a round of applause. So basically, so as I said to you today, yeah. basically what I like to do is understand a bit more about, um, I guess, black entrepreneurs and black leaders' journeys yes. as to what led them to where they are today. Yes, yes. So tell me, like, let's start from the beginning. From the beginning of time. The beginning. Yes. The beginning. So when you were younger, where where were you raised? Um, what did you want to do? What was young Ngozi like? Yes. Tell us. Do you know what? I, I prepared this question, you know, answer this question in the shower. You know, you're thinking about oh, ask this by Oprah. <laughs> yes, Alicia is yes. asking me this. Um, so I was technically, this is my technical connection to Nigeria. I was born in Nigeria. Okay. Um, but I came here when I was six months old. So people just look at me like, look, what are you trying to do? But look, I was in Nigeria, <laughs> Nigeria. for six months. <laughs> I breathed the air for six months, then came um, to the UK. So I've more or less been here all my life. Okay. Um, but interestingly enough, I realised, didn't know this until I was like adult, adult, adult. Mm. But uh, yeah, I was a label. I mean, we were not been here for a very long time. Oh, is I got it? my citizenship in 2002. My mum did it for me. So I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was just there. In Life going to nursery, primary school. Like how though? Would you say how? Like, 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 how was you going to nursery, primary school? You know what? People can do it now. Still, people do it. Like there are there are children that you know technically are illegal, or you know um, their parents are in asylum or refugees. But yeah. It, it, was it? It was a bit easier, I guess, back in the day. You yeah. Know, it's not like where things are now, but mm. it was still quite techy. So yeah. My mum, you know had to be very careful um mm. you kind of had to be careful but i guess she would have gotten her indefinite leave at some point mm-hmm. and then applied for citizenship so I'm right not sure when i see i see because i didn't feel any effect so i went on the school trips maybe i was one to the one time i didn't go on the school trip is that why so because well, was it an abroad school trip or was it a um no 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 like, we didn't go abroad until um with the school until after but i went abroad um, in 1997 or 8 so we must have had indefinite leave so I think ah. um, although I got my citizenship when I was 11 my mum must have gotten her the indefinite leave at some point because I went to Nigeria when right. I was 7 which would have been 1998 right okay so we wouldn't have been able to go if we were 
illegal in a way where like you can't leave the country. Right. So by that time, she probably had that indefinite leave, and then you apply for citizenship, which she did in two thousand and two. Paid off though, whatever that process was. Like, yes. yeah, you're here today. So, yes. and most of the times, for those that are not black or from black cultures and don't understand why we'll do that, it's for a better opportunity in life. I'm guessing. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. She was saying the other day. She was like, "Thank God I took you." Like, Thank God, like, I took you from that country. You know? I said, "Mom, she's like." I told you from that country. <laughs> no, but I think the same though, because when like, whenever I go to um, Jamaica, I always, it's lovely going back home, but then when I make a comparison to the opportunities that are available to like my, my cousins out there versus me, and I wasn't far off because it's my dad's brother's children. So I was like, I'm like, dad, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming to the, because my life could have been completely different. 100%. So that, even though it was a bit of a <laughs> mishap <Yeah>. initially, <laughs> at least. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you grow up with your, like your dads or any older siblings? So that's, and stuff a, as well? that's an interesting, so I'm actually an only child. Oh, you're only child, okay. I'm only child. People can't always tell because you know, some people say they can, but I don't think you can tell that I'm only child. But I grew up with only child, um, so I don't have any siblings that I know of. So there okay. supposedly are siblings out there that are younger than me, but I don't know them. So this was the complicated thing. My mum literally says, the day they touched Heathrow Airport, my dad changed. Um, so, and she experienced a lot of um, uh, DV, which is again an interesting story because I didn't know that. What's DV? Domestic violence. Oh, sorry, um, I, don't, I don't know that. And I did, it's weird because I, there's a disconnection there because I didn't know. Like, I got told by a friend, a family friend. She didn't tell you? No, she mum told me like, all the scars on her body are from like when she was carrying chickens on her head back home. Did, I never knew. The only thing I knew about my dad is that he left and you know. Uh, but I didn't know how wicked he was. Oh, is it? Yeah, she protected me from that. So you know the typical kind of like your mum tells you she pollutes your mind. Yeah, that's it, that's good though that she, yeah, that she I didn't, didn't. I didn't have any pollution. The only thing I just knew of my dad is that he left and that he wanted me to come and find him when I turned 18. But I didn't know the stuff that he did to my mum. I do remember one particular incident where he um, was really nasty towards her um, before he went to Nigeria. He won the lottery, basically. Went, went to Nigeria. Well, he won the lottery in... In the UK. Went back to Nigeria. So, so the lottery is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how much he made, but he made a decent amount enough to go back to Nigeria. You know, you know, like he got money, but they couldn't come back. And then... <laughs> see, he couldn't come back to the country. So, why? I don't know you, don't know, you don't know what happened. I don't know what happened because he come into the country. So that's a crazy story. But between, I have memories of my dad, and I actually have fond memories of my dad. But obviously, he did not. My mom doesn't have fond memories of him. Mm. And um, when I found out that you know about my dad, it was literally she, a family friend was. Just, she was in my car and she was just saying, "Oh yeah, you know your dad used to beat your mum." I said, "What?" I said, "What?" Hold on. She she just said that out. We had the conversation. She was talking about back in the day when I was right, at the house, right? And then she was like, "Oh yeah, you know when your mum used to cry, your dad beating your mum." I'm like, "What?" You don't have any like rec- like memory or no. So did you speak to your mum about it? Yeah, that's her Because when she said that, my friend obviously realised that she said something she wasn't meant to say, oh. and I was like, "Rewind." And she yeah. said, no, no, no. I said, "No, no, you can't just drop that." I yeah. genuinely need to know. And she was like, "I think that's a conversation between your mum." I was like, okay, well it is, but okay. So I don't think she wanted to go into it because she realised that she just said something she weren't meant to say. Yeah. And then I went to my mum. I don't know if she answered me directly. African parents are a bit funny. They're mm-hmm. the same Caribbean parents. They, mm-hmm. they, they always want to tell you. At yeah, the time they don't. Yeah. Um, so it's always when people die, you hear, you hear all the secrets, right? But when I did eventually speak to her, 
I'm trying to remember, we've had, with my mum, I've had so many conversations with my dad and it's been at different points. I've had to piecemeal. My mum has never sat me down and told me my narrated history. Right, you've had to like get in in bits and pieces. In bits and pieces kind of thing. Mm. Um, But yeah, she then, yeah, she like, I said put African, yeah, that's what he did. There wasn't really like lots of conversation. And probably it was obviously painful for her. Mm. So I said, mum, what about that scar? And she went, yeah, him. I said, what about that scar? Yeah, him. I said, and that scar? I said, wait a minute, all of these scars? I thought these that were the scars crazy. you got from the bush. Yeah. That she had so many scars. What? How, how old do you mean when you found this out? Probably from 31 now. If not five years, about five, six years ago. So this is like recent-ish. Yeah, it's like, like within like no more six, seven years ago. Like max between, wow. between 2014 to, yeah. During the period I was really wanting to see my dad, yeah. It was during that period. So yeah, not, not like when I was in my 19, 18. It's when I was in my mid-twenties so when you were growing up and you didn't have your, your dad around or you was the only child like who were your kind of key influences who kind of like, in, inspired you and supported you and mentored you who Never did you yet. have you didn't have anyone no 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 Never, no i never had anyone not even from school or like the i guess from fam like no family members nothing at all no Mum comes from a very massive family, but up until re- very recent, that a few family members are now in this country, all her family was back home. That's one of the things when you come from a polygamous household. So part mm. of the reason why mum took me from the country, because when she was really struggling, being bearing in mind that she's illegal and she's working illegally here, she can't send me back because who can she trust to look after me? Mm. She said, if I send you back, you would, end, you would end up dead or prostitute. Or use me for being a maid. There was no, her mom, my mum's mum died, so that was the only person that she would have trusted to... Make sure you're good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, without being clear, if any of my family sees this, but not everyone's like my mum. My mum's got a big heart, so if my, if her nieces came, they would have been treated well. I don't know. She's not, she wasn't confident that I would be treated the same way. I may not have been abused, but there would have been a clear difference that I am not the daughter. Mm and the niece mm. and the way you hear stories back home of you know like abuse next minute i'm cleaning the house yeah she, mm. that would probably happened so how like what, what was your character like growing up was he quite confident outgoing because you seem really confident now or were you quite oh, shy and God, and that's therapy because mate no growing up so i was just saying to my friend today that you know the the bullet so from age four mm. i got up until 13, I got severely bullied. Physically, mentally. At school? Yeah, in school, yeah. Basically, nearly everywhere except home and where I did performing arts. I did performing arts from when I was young. Mm. So, but I used to do a lot of extracurricular activities. So, mm. nearly everywhere I went to, I got bullied. Um, uh, and that was hard because it was like, I was being me. So, it was weird. Like, you don't, it was really difficult to know I don't, I don't know why I was bullied. I can't ask you to this day why I was being bullied, but, you know, kids can, kids can be really cruel. But I guess when you're young and you want to have fun and you're trying to be yourself and then you're constantly being bullied um, mm. for everything, to, the way I speak, the way I look, everything that people love about me now is what I got bullied for. So I was, funnily enough, I was quiet. Um, teachers would say I was quiet in mm. primary school. Secondary school is slightly different, but primary school I was very quiet. I was loud with the few people that, that didn't bully me. <laughs> so those that didn't bully me, I was loud with, like crazy. But to everybody else, I was quiet. I rarely spoke. Because you just didn't want to disturb or... Yeah, like, because I was constantly bullied. So anything I did, it would be a reason 
um, to be teased about um, and didn't feel comfortable. And I'm not to, I didn't go to a big school. The first, second at primary school I went to was big, like the typical like six six classes. Mm. Then I only stayed there for a year. Then I went into um, another primary school, which was just like one year, year one, one year teachers at like, favor. So it's you know quite a small school. Mm. Um, so it's it's weird in the worst way because there's only thirty people in a class. It was really weird. Our class was always like more guy, more boys than girls. So it was mm. like twenty one boys. Than seven girls and out of the seven girls five of them didn't like me so i was only friend with one of the girls and then maybe the, the geeky guys the ones that weren't popular as well mm. so we were like a group together but of course you can imagine the the, the kids wanted to be in a popular group so every so often they would then it would it would be like those that were with us would then go to there because they're like oh they get accepted in for a bit i never got accepted in till towards the end of year six i was so happy like yes finally i've been accepted the last oh, week of school that's um, so sad that kids go through that yeah bullying and even like the, the sexual abuse i've gone through i feel like that was bullying was worse for me because that was with the sexual abuse it happened diff- that just didn't happen like with one person consistently um so but with the bullying it was so pervasive for me, that's been the biggest impact. So all of the voices in my head, when we get, we have voices in our head telling us that you're rubbish, mm. it's all from that. All my voices are from that. My mum never said anything negative in that way yeah. towards my, my well-being. Teachers didn't really say anything mm. really negatively towards me. So it wasn't like I'm interpreting what teachers are saying. A lot of it was kids, my age and older as well. That's crazy. That is crazy that you kind of went through that when you was young. And that must have played a massive part, I guess, into how well you performed in school. Were you quite academic? Were no. you involved? <laughs> like, what were I you good at? I peaked late. Oh, <laughs> my God. I became academic, potentially, from the like A-levels. Um, no, 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 no. I, I was average. So okay. this is what was funny, yeah? I found out, that I found out, I realised that I was on the special needs table in primary school. I don't know if it was in all subjects, but definitely in maths. Um, they put you on a special needs table? That's what you'd call it now. They uh, call it then, but that's what it was. Because when I look at all the different characters on the table, bruv, that was a special needs table. Somebody's picking up their nose, he's shitting himself, um, he's reading the bloody um, oh, really? dictionary. Yeah. But did they have a conversation with your mum to be like, okay, we think that Ngozi is special no, needs? No, I didn't special needs. I just probably was just didn't speak at that time. I just was oh, not. Wow. I was just probably really bad. So they just assumed that, okay. I was at that level, I was really that bad, yeah. Oh, wow, just, okay, yeah. okay. So... Um, and I was, I really was. Okay. Like now I know probably my ADHD. I don't, I'm not diagnosed, but I've told, I've been told I've got ADHD. It makes sense. Mm. But back in the day, and still now, mm. we weren't getting diagnosed as that. That wasn't good. We were not. We were not going to get diagnosed as that. Mm. So it's quite evident that I would probably had some neurodiversity stuff. But that was one. I was also quiet. So one, yeah. I'm just I'm not talking. Yeah. Um, so that's the issue. But I didn't peak. So. I did, I did typical average 444 in um, primary school, so I guess it's average. I don't even remember what the scoring was. What would it go up to level six? So six was like exceptional, five was like above average. Okay, and then. I think three was below, like, below average, and okay. four was average. Okay, okay. So I guess you could say that was just good. But compared to the people I was with, you probably yeah. got threes. Yeah. I got 444. Um, but I did a CATS test in year seven, I got the highest score. That, okay. that was like a, I don't know, like an intelligence test thing. So, and the thing is, even though I wasn't academic, I knew I wasn't stupid. Mm. I was just not academic. I wasn't yeah. good at writing all of that stuff. Mm. But I could hold conversations at that like right. 10 years old. Right. You know, um, and I spoke a lot to myself because I was an only child. So I had I would have deep conversations and I was a reader. So I was, where right. I was advanced was reading. Right. Constantly reading. Um, 
and then then secondary. So you're, that's funny. When you look at my life, yeah, you wouldn't think how I'm, I am. That's what people say. You know, some people you meet, you hear podcasts, and people say, you know, at five years old, I just knew there was something I was going to do. It's like I was not, like, I was not that person. Yeah, because did you have like a dream when you no. was like, <laughs> that? You, you, yeah, you were just a, you're just a kid. I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I was didn't. just a kid. So literally, when people say that, and I'm not denying that, but I really want to talk to the people that actually are like me. They're just everyday people. Yeah. Sometimes you stumble onto your greatness. Yeah. I think that's also okay. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, I was just yeah. So I was just average, really. I could just call myself average. And year seven, um, year seven, year eight was a really interesting year. So, so I got. I wouldn't say I got bullied severely, but you know, I got bullied by a few people. But there was one day I just got tired of it. I will never forget this day. I got suspended, but I will never forget this day. That's why I hate art as well to this day. It was an art class. I hate art. Mm. And there's just these two girls constantly, like they literally, I like, was sitting here and one, and they're sitting there mm. and they're cussing me all the time. And uh, there was one. Did day, you ever fight back? What? Did you ever fight fight back? That's, that's the story I'm talking okay, about. Okay, alright, alright, okay. Yeah. All right. So literally, I don't know when it was, I think it was towards Christmas. I planned this was planned, this was premeditated. Okay. This is where they say premeditated, uh, be up this was me. This was all premeditated. I, I decided that it was no more. I was tired. I was sick and tired of being pushed over. I said all my life, I am a nice person, I don't do anything to anybody. Yeah. Why am I getting bullied constantly? Um so I made a decision that I'm gonna beat them up. <laughs> and then, but it was really weird because it's like they knew. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I don't condone violence, but I understand. They knew it's weird because yeah. that day they were quiet. Oh, it's like you, but you know what? That's fun. That's how you know at a young age you can tell things because they were very quiet. It's like everybody in the class could feel the tension. I didn't say nothing. I was quiet. I didn't know what. I literally sat in the whole class like this, just waiting for the bell to ring. I just stayed quiet. They said nothing. And, and usually every class they say something, guaranteed. Okay, that's interesting. And then when that bell rang, when that bell rang, you should have seen they jumped up so quick. So I didn't catch wave for them, I only caught one of them. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> even though they didn't speak to you that, that session, you They still... rang! And I wanted to catch a smaller one. Oh, so they knew that they knew. They, they, they knew. knew. They must have made in my face something in the whole atmosphere. They knew. And the small little rat ran. I wanted to catch her because she was one of the biggest mouth. Oh, I wanted yeah. to catch her. But I caught the other one. And I got her in the chokehold. Oh. <laughs> I got her in the chokehold and oh, I started to batter her. And all, all of your frustrations from, from like your history. All the years. Yeah, yeah, that was like years of I'm tired, leave yeah, me alone. Yeah. And then, um, obviously, the teacher separated me. I went to the to school. Like, I didn't care, but they put me in the teacher. Um, they were like, oh, you know, Ingersi, I said, I said to her, I don't apologise, I don't care. I'm not apologising. I said, this girl has terrorised me for two years. I don't care. So when I, went, when I think even that suspension, I, went, I was happy. I was happy. That was a happy suspension. <laughs> it was like, yes, Finally, I've got my voice. That was me reclaiming back my voice. From then, never. Oh from then, gosh. you can never bully me from then, though. <laughs> from then, no one not going bullied anybody after that. Because, boy, my motto was if you come at me, I'm coming at you 10 times. So, what potentially happens a lot of times was that if somebody did me one thing, I may have been a bit disproportionate, but boy, I came at you because I just felt like I didn't come to you. I didn't do nothing. Yeah, to anybody. yeah. You yeah. come to me. Yeah. 10 times harder yeah. and then for about 2-3 years all I did was fight we fought bare schools 
So yeah, you, so you were leading out in the fight. I was leading out the fight, boy. The matter of fact, that's, that's a flip. The flip was real, but the person was always there. So that's what I said. With yeah. Three people I was comfortable with. I was always crazy, but to generally people, I was quiet. Yeah. So and my kind of thing is now, I don't fight. No, I don't argue now. But my thing is, if you step to me, I'll step to you ten times harder. Because why are you stepping mm. to me for? Mm. Mm. I'm I'm respecting you. Don't mm. don't do that. So it was between year eight and year ten. Lots of fight. My last fight was um when i was 16 and that was the reason why i couldn't get into christ the king college actually oh you went to go christ the king i wanted to because i had to i lived in north london and i applied for college in south because if i stayed in my area i wouldn't have finished college that's how much that's how much fighting i did really so at sfx I went SFX too. Yeah, is it? That's the intro, because I, I, I was between SFX or Christ the King. Yeah, those are the two. Well. And I didn't get into Christ the King, I had a fight just before that, and the teacher had to disclose that. I was so pissed off. So I went to SFX, but I went all the way. I used to go from Dawson all the way to SFX, yeah. There was no quite a few knew. North people that came to SFX. I was thinking, why, yeah? I went because <laughs> I couldn't go to Monarchs, I couldn't go to CNI, I couldn't go to ah. all of those bait. I would not. Everyone that I fought went there, so it would be fighting. It would be fighting season, and I was tired of fighting because the fights yeah. I was having were meaningless. You were fighting me because I fought your cousin. You were fighting me because I fought yeah. your friend, best friend, boyfriend. It was meaningless. I yeah, that fight and a few other fights after was about asserting that look, I would never be bullied again. All the rest of them was just a bit of fun, and I got a bit tired of it because yeah. you want to get your extensions being pulled every single like. Do you know what I mean? And your face. My my fear about fighting is my face. I wasn't on my fight. Oh, you did. Okay. I won all the time. One that I tied in that but she was six foot two. But I won and tied. So yeah, you can't. I never got beat up. So messy with Ngozi. She would come for you. Have you seen the Woman King? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah, like yeah. Ngozi from the Woman King as well. That's with me, and that's a journey into workplace because you. Can't be like that in work, and yeah, I found that very difficult. But it's good that you taught you that, that you force yourself to come out of it, though, because you can't yes. be fighting people at work. Can't be, yes. But even in life, when you're an adult, you but get I arrested. Got, I got bullied at work as well, so that's so funny. I got bullied at work. Uh, okay. Let's let's get into that because that's a mad. Because I, I think a lot of us have experienced that to some degree. But I want to know when you went to college, mm-hmm. what did you study? And, and, okay. and at this point, did you know? Okay, okay. this is what I want to do. No, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do even like seven years ago. But so <laughs> where my academia probably came out was the in year eleven. I was in I was in U's and E's. I was in U's. I was in U's. But, uh, I mean, the only thing I wasn't on U was R and um, and um, history and drama because there were the three subjects that I liked. That was like me too. Yeah, that's what my top subjects. I was on U. You had to retake everything. Yeah. Um. What the trigger was, my mum never she never came into school for anything happy secondary school there was nothing good she came in for it was always English is bad English is this English is that and i don't know back in the day irish teachers were scary but if you don't mess with those irish teachers you know um mm. they were like you know i can't do irish accent. i'm even trying. Or, or scottish or, 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 yes. yeah they were scary so me. basically she just they said to my mum english is failing okay. she's failing is that what you did two years? Don't even like it. So you, you're, you're, the thing they said, you're, well, you're Nigerian, so you just come to the country just to fail. Mm. And my mum couldn't look at me. She had tears in her eyes. And I, mm. I begged her to beat me. I said, mum, beat me. Please beat me. And she just said, why? Why are you doing this to me? Do you know how much I've suffered? Mm. That broke me. And mm. that was the day that I changed. It was in year 11. September, around about September, October. So this was like your final year before the GCSEs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 2000 and what, six, seven. 
um, in 2006 then, wouldn't it be? Um, that was when I just said, you know what, what am I doing? I don't want to mm. come out. Like, even though I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself bad, but even though I was a bit naughty, mm. I went to those kids that I knew were going to PRU, like, and anyone PRU, but I was like, I'm not trying to be those kids on ends on roads just running we doing nothing. Mm, mm. Even I didn't take I didn't I didn't really care for academia, I knew I didn't want to be that. Mm. So I had to fix up. And that's I guess that's where I began to peak. Um I learned okay, there's a there's a way to study, you revise, you don't need to understand, just revise the thing. <laughs> so I I I got basically mostly B's, bit of C and a few A's. Okay, that is fantastic. In a space of basically less than a year. Yeah. When yeah, you yeah. applied yourself, look yeah, at literally. that. And then A levels, um, I took the same kind of thing. I started to plan myself as well. So I did um I chose history, psychology, yeah, the ones I failed, I'm not mentioning those ones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> drama? Did you not do drama? No, I realised I wasn't going to be an actor. So I realised I'm not going to cut out to be okay. acting. No, 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 no. I didn't okay. want to be famous. So I decided anything that's going to put me in a limelight, I didn't want to do. Okay. But I really was interested in history, which obviously my mum was like, eh? History? <laughs> well, what are you doing with history? history? What are you doing with that? So um, I studied that. Mm. And then I went into university to do history. I, I, started, I went to Reading University. Can you imagine that? I, I rejected King's College, you know? <laughs> Why? I wanted to go to Reading. Well, <laughs> people like, I don't know, I just want to go Reading. I rejected, I don't know, so I just said, I don't want to do ancient history there. Ancient history is better because Reading had the, be- the second best, you know, um, was it museum or something? Oxford was the best and then right, Reading. Right. So I went there. But when I think about it, I said, wow, I really rejected the Kings. Well, I was probably like, I'm going to reject the Kings. <laughs> so um, I went to Reading and then I just one day decided, I want to help people. But whilst you were studying in university? Whilst I was studying in doing ancient history, I want to help people. So I want to do social work. So I remember speaking to the lady and I was like, I want to do social work. She was like, why don't you finish this and then do a master's? I said, I'm, I'm not smart enough to do a master's. So let me just leave this degree now and go do social work. And look, I'm doing a master's and I'm doing a doctorate. So, um... Well, by now, is this week? I'm doing a doctorate, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, look yeah. at it. Talking nonsense into yourself. <laughs> but and you're I mean, capable of I much more. I mean, I still felt like I wasn't... Um, because I still had the young Esther who was on the special needs table, even mm. though I came up with a first in my social work. All my amazing. So, so, so did, did you switch? I did switch, okay. but I'm not in Reading. So I left Reading, did a year out. That's where I got bullied in, at work and then went into social work um, and then I guess that's where I kind of understood now how to write so I'm the type of person that I can write at first class but I can't tell you why I've written that I don't, don't ask me why the apostrophe is there I just know it needs to be there so I don't know I don't know why the grammar is there I just know how to manipulate the grammar does that make sense right, someone right. would say the normative value in the subject above I don't know what that is I don't know what the object of the subject is in the yeah. sentence I just know how it's meant to sound and I write it so my friends who were really smart taught me I embedded it, but I can't teach you the rules. I just know how to write. So even when I, if I proofread your work, I will proofread it, but I wouldn't tell you why I recorrected your work. Right, right. So that's kind of, that's, that's how I am. So I'm not the type of person who can break down why I've written this. I can just write at a very high level now. Mm. Um, because now I can tell myself I'm a good writer because I consistently and you read a lot as well so maybe that ha- that finally had to yeah, 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 that probably you know played I mean? part in it as well um, and you got a first that's incredible yeah in social work that's incredible yeah so um, but yeah so my my academic journey 
has, is a very interesting one. That's why I kind of encourage people that sometimes people peak at different times. Yeah. And I had several different peaks, but my biggest peak was at university. Mm, and then, so talk to us about when you took a break and you went to work. What did you do for work in that Teaching time? Teaching system. Okay, and what happened in that year? So, um, I was working in a school in Tower Hamlet, so I was working in special needs because when I, at 16, so mm. I started working at 16 and I was working with children with autism, children with learning disabilities, mm. so I kind of fell into working in health and social care. I wanted to work in retail like everyone else did when you're 16. Mm. I want to work in retail. Um, and I just couldn't get a job <laughs> in retail. No, but no, retail's actually hard to get a job in, especially McDonald's. That was, I got rejected from McDonald's. Mate, life. I got... was really too cool. I was working from Baby Perkins. I did two weeks work experience there. I was, I was not happy. But um, yeah, I went into health and social care at quite a young age. So that's kind of what I was doing. So I would do support work, youth work, play work. And then I was doing teaching assistant for the year um, as I just um, told them to apply. Um, I didn't want to go through clearing. I wanted to actually apply f- um, to do a social work degree and I went to Middlesex. Mm. But, um, yeah, basically it was an Asian, she was the head of the autism team. So there's different teams, there's autism, there was like behavioural difficulties, there's different teams in the SEN department mm. and she was the head of that. And mm. what she would basically do is she would tell me off in front of the kids. Just, that's... that's- just like correct you just correct me in front of the kids like it's weird because really, I don't know what I was um, doing for her to correct me unprofessional yeah that's v- also it can really have an impact on your confidence like you may just be on edge yeah I didn't speak because yeah. the, what it took me to 20 I started working at 2007 mm. it took me to 2015 before I learned how to speak at work so the same kind of journey I went through primary and secondary school I went through and work I couldn't assert myself. So outside, you couldn't come chat to me anyhow because I've asserted myself yeah. in secondary school. Yeah. But in work now, new environment, it takes a while. Yeah. It took what nearly ten years for me to learn how to articulate myself and let nobody talk to me disrespectfully for no reason. Yeah. Um, so I went through a lot. And I guess I was constantly bullied, but that yeah, I was bullied. She just terrorised me. Um, I don't know why she didn't like me, but she made it a conscious effort to put me down. And at one point, the worst one was when um, it was so, I don't know what happened. She told me off in front of a young person and then I was in the uh, staff room Mm. and she was shouting at my face. And so, and the bell rang. So I'm like trying to get to the class. So I'm walking and I'm crying and she's like, yeah, you're gonna cry. Yeah, you're gonna cry. And the only reason I was crying, I wanted to punch her. I wasn't crying because I was, I was, oh my God, I didn't yeah. know how to say anything. Because the thing is as well, you've, you've learned to deal with bullying by Fighting. beating people up. Yes. Exactly. So you've got to think, figure out a way to combat this exactly. without you having to physically hurt exactly. her. I'm glad I didn't know how to speak out, how to articulate myself. Yeah. And I know I couldn't fight. All I could do was cry. So what? So did you seek help at that point from no. anyone or just ask for any help no, or advice? That was, that was probably the the heightened part of my depression. Really? Oh, I forgot to add that I've been depressed for most of my life. <laughs> so it's that I forgot to add that part. Yeah, that was, I I don't know if I can say as a child, but most likely mm. I probably was very depressed from childhood. It's just that my personality was also very jovial. So I was a functional depressant. And because my personality was happy, 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 mm. most people wouldn't see that I'm depressed, but I would come home very, always sad because 
I'm not being liked. No one likes me. So, so what did your mum do about that? Did she pick it up or did she not know? When I was harming myself, self-harming myself. So, um, some of really? my school friends found that I was self-harming myself. Um, and then, did they tell my mum? Or someone told my mum? Have they told their mum and then my mum did? Yeah, so I went to a psychologist when I was young for a few sessions because of that. Um, did it help? I don't know, I don't remember it. I remember one session, but I don't remember the, the sessions really, maybe. I don't know. I stopped self-harming because I couldn't hide it, because everybody was watching me at school, which was probably was a good thing. So, um, I, yeah, when I would cover my arms, they'll be like, you self-harming? It's like, no, I'm just covering my arms. So I wasn't able to hide. And also, there was, I got, there wasn't enough space anywhere. I was like, oh, do I do? I did a bit of my leg, but not much. But it was like, there was no more space to self-harm. From what you remember when you was doing that, what was the reason for self-harming? Like, See, I find it interesting because the reason that people give now, I don't feel like it was my reason, but maybe it was. Um, I was just angry. It, I didn't feel better. You know said they yeah. feel better? Was, I didn't feel better after self-harm. I was just angry. I hated myself. So yeah. I, it was me taking out my anger on myself. Um, and... This is just only by the grace of God. I didn't know about overdosing. If I knew about overdosing, I wouldn't be here because I wanted to kill myself. I would have a knife to my, really? to my stomach. But I, was just, I just felt, thank God I was too chicken in that way. My, I was too scared to put the knife through my stomach. So you were suicidal? Yeah, I was suicidal. So for most of my life, I've been suicidal and depressed, yeah. I just didn't know about overdosing. I just, no, I just didn't know. Thank God I didn't know, because if I'd known about that, because I was very tomboyish, I was thinking of the most gruesome ways to Sick. kill myself. So that the ways that, you know, usually men do it. But I was just too scared because the physical pain to get to the death was what scared me. Did you talk to anyone about that particular thought or did you keep that to yourself? Yeah, yeah, no, I kept that to myself. That one, never, I never shared that with people. So how did you come out of that state of wanting to kill yourself? Good question. That ended in 2018, 2019. Um, That's quite recent. Mm, yeah. My depression ended around about that time as well, yeah. Um, a lot of therapy, a lot of prayer, a lot of seeking God, uh, finding my significance, finding my worth, a lot of work, that is it. Like, the, there's so much work. That's why when I work with a lot of clients that that have that level of trauma, I can work with them because my level of trauma was that such as well. It's just that I guess the difference was I was very functional mm. and I was achieving a lot of great things. Mm. And one thing about any kind of, whether it's suicide, anything, you're not all of that. So it's like even the ADHD, you're not all your ADHD, you're not all your autism. Mm. There are parts of you. So I wasn't all my suicide. That's why there was lots of part of me that was happy and was mm. joyful, but there was a really big part of me that just hated themselves. And again, that to me, that came more from my bullying than anything else. Not from the abuse, from the bullying, because that, it was like, it was it was such a harsh world to be in when I was younger. So it was just like, and I, w I felt like I'd been bullied for being me. Mm. Which I guess everyone gets bullied for being themselves, I guess, to a degree. So it, in my head, if I'm being told that you're rubbish, you're this, yeah, you're that. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's going to feed into your confidence and your self-worth yeah. and how you view yourself. So yeah. in my head, I wasn't, anything good and great even though i was achieving good and man great stuff. kids can be so wicked because look at how it could have cost you your life and it's and in, in a roundabout way it's not taking years from you because it's their learning experiences but your feeling of depression could have stopped you from doing things earlier or could have put you know could have prevented certain things yeah so dark days saved me that would have saved me 
bullying would have saved me some dark days that you know I didn't really have to go through you know I'm better for it I'm thankful that I've come out of that but that's even though I don't champion bullying I don't think that's my calling in that way best believe that don't bully my child boy I feel, I feel sorry for any parent that bullies my child because just to feel just knowing what I went mm. through that couldn't and the thing is being the parent of a child being bullied so hard my mum tried but she made it worse because she would go into the school cuss out the teachers and then ah, oh, that just made it worse because, because, because they'll, they'll, they'll start bullying. Basically, they took the anger out of me. The teachers will get frustrated. Um, I don't know. They, I don't know. It's like a child will, will bring my hand. Like I, the amount of times that my they will, a child will bend my hand. I will scream. I don't know. What and the teachers didn't do anything about it. Not really. I'm in shock. I pray. I pray. I hope that's not the case the now. Told me about this. About, what? Yes, yeah, she just told me about another person that she was just talking to, who. The, she's taking the child, she's homeschooling the child because the child is getting physically bullied and the school's doing nothing. What would you advise kind of parents then? Because that's, it's crazy. Like parents that are going have, that have children that are being bullied, what would you advise for them? Or even children that are being bullied themselves? What would you advise? Um, that's a really good question. I guess it's really what I would, I'm not going to advise you anything professionally because in all honesty, sometimes the system don't work for you and these are your kids. Um, and if the school is telling you, oh, we're dealing with it, but your child is coming home every single day crying or upset, or you're seeing changes in their behaviour because mm. they're being bullied, you got to take some action. I would literally advise you might have to consider homeschooling, consider mm. moving the schools. It's difficult to say go in there and demand because sometimes it does. I really do feel like, I don't know if teachers are different this time mm. around, but I felt that like the teachers were would not put their annoyance out on me but i felt they did put their annoyance out on me because of really? my mum. yeah like not in a bad way but like oh ingazi like you know they'll say things like mm, little things like that because they're mm. frustrated um and that's not nice because why am i getting in trouble because my mum spoke to you and i get it maybe she cast out your cast you out and wanted to fight you but still mm. no <laughs> i shouldn't be getting yeah, the thing yeah so you know I think it needs to be discussions with the, somebody mentioned it, the, the education board, know who the governors are, mm. like basically know who the who the decision maker, so from the head mm. teacher and above, mm. and the council, know who your MP is. Mm, mm, mm. I, I think when it comes to your child, um, I, the school that my friend was telling me about doesn't, doesn't, didn't let the, didn't want her and the other the mother to speak when the mother was actually working in the school, so that probably probably added to it. So it might be difficult to speak to the parents unless mm. you can, unless you know them, unless the your child says that's the parents. It might be difficult. It could even make, make things worse. To be honest, you never know how they're yeah. going to react to it because yeah. not everyone's going to react nicely to say that your child is bullying. You know, my mm. child's a bully. So I was like, you got to take it in your own hands. And no one said I'm not going to give you no professional advice because some schools don't listen to your concerns. They don't listen to you because you might say, I think my child's um, got a sound of autism, my child's got ADHD. They say, no, we, we think the child's okay. Or they tell you that the child's got something, you think the child's okay. So mm. I think as the parent, as the person with PR, I would definitely say, speak to a lawyer. Honestly, I would say literally do everything you need because obviously if you're working full time, you mm. can't just homeschool. As I said to homeschool, it may not be possible or reasonable, yeah. but you've got to protect your child because in all honesty, Kids are getting so smarter these days. Yeah. People and children are not just getting bullied now physically. They're mm. getting bullied online. It's worse now. And also because you can hide behind a lot of the things that, you're, that you've been saying. Like, I, I have a friend. 
this isn't great, but they've got an alias account that they use to cuss racist people. <laughs> and they literally look, it's not me by the way, cause I know you guys are thinking of it. No, it's not me, but they have, um, yeah, literally the kind of, and I'm like, I mean, I get what you're doing is good, but that means bare people can have just alias accounts and they can just, and do you know what's crazy? I actually heard about a girl that um, she, you know, on Instagram, if you forget password, you can, it shows you the number. Like you can, it says that we'll send you a code to your number. Mm. So she was thinking, this person keeps on trolling me online. Let me just check to see if I know the person. And it was one of her friends. When she checked the end of the number, it was one of her friend's numbers that was trolling her online. Crazy. I know, absolutely mad. But anyway, yeah, so it's worse now. It's worse now. So I really think it's just important and then I would say that it then um, I would definitely introduce your child to play therapy um, because if that if I may have had that I used to love to play so that would have been a really good way for me to express myself and articulate because I found it very hard to articulate my emotion I just learned to to the reason part of the reason why I was quiet was because I just didn't speak so when I would I would cry teachers used to get so frustrated with me because I just wouldn't say what was wrong with me right. um, because I just thought it was even stupid what was wrong with me. And I don't know, I was just so scared to say. Yeah. Like, and teachers, yeah, they just, they really, they really got frustrated with me. And even my favourite teacher, I remember, I'll never forget her. She said, I stopped doing that for a while. And I did it in year six. And mm. then she said to me, I heard about this, Ingers. I really heard about it. I'm really disappointed in you. And I really, and I felt, I felt like I lost my favourite teacher. Why was she disappointed in you? Because... I wasn't speaking about why I was upset, right. and she probably heard about that in the in the staff room. That's how that's how I am. That's what that's how I behave. And I hadn't behaved like that for a whole year in year six. I think I made a decision not to be, do that in year six, um, but I did that. I think towards the end of the year, and I just her disappointment made me feel like I lost her because she was my favorite teacher. I really mm. loved, I, I wanted, even though I didn't look to her, like you said who inspired you, but I wanted mm. her as her, that, approval. her, her approval. Yeah, and I felt I had her disapproval in that moment. Over, and I guess maybe she, you know, now she should understand that children have different ways of communicating, mm, mm. and they couldn't see that was a cry for help. Mm, mm. Um, that was my way of crying for help. But obviously, it's frustrating if you spend the whole day prodding me. And I'm not saying I think mm. I was very stubborn, but it would be in my head of like just ask me one more time. But the one more time never happened. Yeah, it was that kind of thing. But yeah. I don't know if they did ask me if I was still say. But in my head, it was like just ask me one more time. So so ask yeah, me just. Just so you know, they actually want to know and they yeah, care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when they did it, it was like, that. you see, no one cared anyway. So what's the point of kind of sharing? Listen, I do that now as an adult sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> where I just I'm like, no, ask. Do you really care if you are, if you want if you really care, yeah. you keep asking me. Yeah, So going on to your adult life now. So you've left. You graduated from university. Did you get your master straight straight away, or did you wait wait before? Well, I took my master's because psychotherapy is quite a uh, protracted. Um, degree, so it took about five years because it's a it's it's yeah to be a psychotherapist is about a minimum four years, and then mm. it takes a couple of years to gather all of your your counselling hours and all of this different stuff. So, mm. but I completed my masters at uh, twenty nineteen, so it took about five years. Oh wow! Okay, and were you working part time? Full time. Full time, as well as doing your masters. Yeah. What were you doing for work before? You Social work. So you're full time social worker. What, what did that entail for you? So I worked in mental health. So um, for a number of years, I had a caseload of thirty 
and you would call it what they call severe and enduring mental health disorders. So clients mm. that have schizophrenia, bipolar, mm. schizoaffective disorder, personality, different types of personality disorders. So those that were on a very severe end, they're not mm. working, their functioning has been, is decreased because, um, uh, because of the mental illness is such that mm. it stops them from, I guess, participating in everyday life. Um, and then I'll be coordinating their care. So, you know, it's basically ensuring that they are having a better quality of life, but managing their, you know, the kind of their care and being that point of contact for everybody. So from mm. housing to the DP, to their doctor, to their families, you know, I'll be the point of contact. And then um, later on, I became what you call an approved mental health professional. And um, that essentially means I'm the person who detains people under the Mental Health Act. So. Um, I have the power to section somebody for 28 days or for six months in hospital. So how often did you have to do that? I did it all the time. So I'll be on what you call on shift or on duty. I'll be on duty very often. So I did it. I've done, I was at AMP for one whole year. So I did that every single day. But what was the process in you, um, I guess, sectioning someone? Was it that someone reported them or did you monitor them over a period of time? Or like, what was that so, process? So, without being too complicated, essentially, if someone in the community, they could be within a mental health team or not, mm. if somebody feels that somebody's very, very unwell and acting, um, I guess, very bizarrely or acting in a way that is at, you know, is, is at risk to themselves or others, mm. then typically... Um, you have to get the attention of the services somehow. Mm. So the person might get the attention of the services because they are so unwell that, you know, somebody calls an ambulance, they go mm. into A&E, or mm. they're just walking around and, and then somebody calls the police and then the police will put them on a temporary section called Section 136 because they need a care and control. Mm. But usually it's people within, the, it's people usually within the system already. Mm. They're, in the, they're under the mental health team, um, their social worker, their nurse, whoever is concerned that they're deteriorating, they're relapsing mm. and they, they can't, they're not safe at home, they're not safe back mm. in the community. Um, and then they will get referred to our team, um, which is called the, the AMP team, mm. um, and then we will coordinate their care. So mm. we will get the doctors, we will get the um, the locksmith, we'll get the police. We've got to get a warrant from the, um, the the court because sometimes we have to break through their door um, to take them um, and assess them under the Mental Health Act because obviously most people are not going to welcome you in when you say, um, we are quite concerned about your mental health mm, care mm. and we might we think you might need some time in hospital. Can we assess you? No. <laughs> so mm. if you say no, we've got to take you by force mm. to assess you and then determine, do you meet the criteria? Should we text you? What was that process for you, like mentally kind of um, doing that? That must have, I mean, I feel like I would cry every day, but um, you might be used I, to For me, it was a, a very advocacy role because I, in the boroughs that I worked in was section people that look like you and I all the time. People that could be my brothers, could be my friends, could be my auntie, mm. could be my mother, could be my dad. And that was difficult because mm. it was painful. I don't, and there, there must be a thing, you know, there must be research into this, but there, I know why people don't really experience that unless maybe they're from certain communities like maybe Irish or you're Polish mm. or something. But being sectioned? No, what I mean is that, that when you see another black person, especially if they even come from your country, right, right. I feel it more. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, just, yeah. I feel like I'm actually yeah. doing something like my family. Yeah. So 
you know, I don't have it for everybody. I, was just be, I don't have it for Asian people. I didn't have it for that. But mm. when it was my black people, mm. and particularly if you were from um, Nigeria, I felt like, because I go to Nigerian parts of the time, you could literally be my auntie's mm. son. Mm. It just felt mm. more. And because it, mm. because the aspect of them that's talking normally, so you can have a normal yeah, conversation. Yeah. And they start saying, oh, there's, there's blue tips there. Can you not see it? And we're like, what are you looking at? Over there. And it just breaks your heart when yeah. you're seeing people so disconnected from reality. Mm. You know, or they're living lives, or you see somebody who has so much life to give. They they were they're studying, they're working, and then they break down. Yeah. And, and also because I guess I could have been that. Yeah, exactly. That's I why I feel like that. it's even more emotional for you because you had your own experiences that could have left. It could have. It could have been that. You know. If I probably potentially take took weed at my uh, um, at lowest points. If I, you know, I never experienced psychosis, but. There were moments and times that I felt like I was out. It, I didn't feel real. And I say I felt real. When you hate yourself so much, and, the, you know, I don't have any pictures from year 7 to 11. I could not take any pictures. I couldn't look in the mirror. I still don't look. I, I look in the mirror now, but I naturally don't look in the mirror naturally unless I really have to because of the severe bullying I had. So there is a level of... And then also, I... Like, my... How can I put it? Um, what's the word? I'm trying to think. How how would I how would I call this? I couldn't like I'm really, I'm bad with colours, right? But I knew I was always dark skin, but I, I used to think I was dark like this. Because I used to get called that I was black. So if somebody said, Oh you know, I would say this is my colour. It took me very long to realize. That's I'm the not thing that though, you know, because my best friend went through a similar thing where she, where I didn't understand it. She was like, You're not gonna get it. I'm like, We're both black. She's like, No, like I've been called like blick. Like she used to not like getting tans, nothing. I didn't understand thought your skin's beautiful. Like I I didn't understand it. And that is that's it's crazy that this experience wasn't just her it wasn't just my mum because my mum's about your complexion as well it's it's actually something that's happened to a lot of dark darker skinned black women it's not yeah yeah so i now know my skin type but still i i I don't know i just know that i know my color my makeup but i don't fully know so how dark you are how dark i am because now that i realize i'm not i wasn't i'm not that color i'm not but I'm not that dark. I said I'm dark, but I'm not this dark. So it's just weird. But when you're getting told that you're you're basically this color, um, it's hard to separate that reality from yourself. That's what I mean. That never had, had psychosis, but it's that whole kind of thing of that body dysmorphia, right? Mm. I was um, cool. I was really, really, really skinny. So all my life, I wanted to be big. Like I was the, and that's the thing. A lot of girls that that been bullied for their weight. We don't talk about it enough because we do get that bigger girls get mm. the bigger brunt of mm. being bullied in the their way. Mm. But a lot of us want to be bigger. Like I, mm. like if I was a size 40, I'd be happy. Now, mm. I'm happy now, mm. but there was a time I wanted to be bigger. Like mm. I wanted that because I just being again. I didn't know I was skinny until I was told I was skinny. And you know, I don't know. I don't know if I was really that as skinny as I was, but mm. supposedly I really, really was. So um, it's. It took me a long time, like, to realise that I've, even like now I'm size 12, right? Mm. But it's hard because it's like, I've been told I was skinny. So it's hard to see your weight. So I, well, I don't have body dysmorphia, but as everything is a spectrum. So if this was an extreme and this is moderate, I don't think I'm even there, but I definitely am in the spectrum where it's hard to sometimes know my size because you've been told that you're this for so long. I feel it. I understand it yeah. as well. Like, we, we, I think, especially as women, we go through that a lot of time. I remember 
back 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 when I was younger because all my friends were exceptionally petite I felt even bigger than when I look back I think you was probably a normal size for your age or whatever mm. and even like with um like with your complexion even if you were this color nothing wrong with it, wrong with it. I think I think what the problem is is that that you're because you're being picked on because of you being that color then you're perceiving it to be a bad thing but Black is beautiful. All shades of black yes. are, are, are beautiful. The, the melanin, the yeah. sea, the undertones, the purple, you know? the red, the yellow. And you're beautiful as well. You've oh, got you've you. got a lovely skin tone. You've got nice thank features. You. Like, I, and I'm ho- I hope you know that and rem- remember that when you look at yourself in the mirror as well all the time. Like, you know what? If I'm really honest, the way I am, I don't, I don't sit, I think I'm okay. The utility of beauty I'm okay with. So I don't necessarily sit there and think I'm beautiful. I just know that I'm not ugly. Then there's a difference. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So I couldn't sit there and say I'm beautiful, but I'm not ugly. So I just kind of live in that middle of well, I'm ugly. So I just keep it moving that way. I don't overthink about it. But yeah, if I'm honest, I don't think I could ever feel that because the level of bullying that I got was such wow, that. Wow, that's crazy. I don't think I could ever. It would. It would be. Yeah. It, I don't know. It might take a miracle to believe that, but. I don't. I know I'm not ugly, and my husband found me beautiful. But that's the most. That's the, and that's, that's the most important thing as well. Thing. So, Your man loves you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so. That's the most important <laughs> thing. But I think I'm honest. I think with a lot of people, and we're really good to have this conversation with people that have gone through bullying, abuse, all of the stuff. Yeah. Do they ever feel? Maybe they people do. But when people say I feel beautiful, I'm like, well done to you. But I don't. But that doesn't stop me from what I need to do because I don't. It doesn't stop me. I just get on with my life. I don't yeah. Sit there yeah. I think I'm beautiful. Yeah. But if somebody asked me like, you did. No, I don't. But I, I'm not sad about it. It's just one of those things that I don't think I can get to the point where I think I'm beautiful, but I don't, don't think I'm ugly. So I think that's a good middle to be for me. But you are. And I, f- and I think one thing to remember is that, of course, beauty is perceived to be physical as well. But I think it comes more with aura. It comes with your mindset, your heart, yeah. personality. Yeah, because you can get someone that, I guess, aesthetically... To, yeah, yeah, but they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not beautiful as yeah. a, uh, to be around. And I think that as we're getting older, I want to be around beautiful people as well. Not just to look at, but people that you can exactly. connect with as well. So that's, so that's what that's what matters to me. But... Anyway, um, so just to understand them, when did you start Frontline Therapist? Um, what made you want to start it? Let's let's talk about that. Um, so in 2018, okay. um, I had an encounter with a woman who was like my mother. Like she was, you know, if she was outside of the work that I did, I'd be calling her auntie. But she was a client as such and she wanted to work with me, but I didn't have any space to work with her. And I referred her out to services. Um, and they referred her right back. <laughs> they referred her right back to the hospital. And it wasn't because of her race, it was actually because I think she had schizophrenia. Okay. And I just felt so frustrated and angry. And I was like, God, what can we do? And God was like, you do it. I was like, not me, not me. So I literally for six months, I looked for a business partner. <laughs> like I did everything I can not to do this myself. I found a business partner and then he blue ticked me. Like we all, we agreed, like we agreed, we found him on LinkedIn, we agreed. And then what, to work together on frontline therapist? Yeah, like to work together. He was a software developer, so we were gonna, he was gonna work in the tech and I was gonna right, work in the technical right. aspect. And he blew ticked me. I messaged him saying, oh, here's my email, you know, send me the Google thing. Mm. And that never happened. So after a few months- Up to months, this day? Up to this day, yeah, he blew ticked me. So for after like a few months, I just realized that, okay, you know, I've got to do it. Cause I felt like the big vision was so big. I was so scared. And I was like, to I do can't it by do yourself. that. And like I said to you, 
I always wanted. Funny enough, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Actually, I always wanted to make money. That was really what it is. I always wanted to make money. I wanted mm. to get um, my mum mama out of you know our situation and working mm. class background, all of this stuff. Mm. But I I didn't necessarily go around with that kind of you know that some people have this confidence. You know, when you meet entrepreneurs, mm. they're just like they've got they've got a personality type. They're mm. A type personality, mm. very mm. confident, very predocious. That wasn't me. Mm. So when I got given this vision, my natural response is. I can't do that. I really mm. can't do that. But once I was, I, I didn't think I can do it, but once I was, I had to do it. Forget the can. I had to do that. That's how I set out. And that's why I encourage people because I think sometimes you listen to people on podcasts and they say things like, you got to just believe in yourself. I'm not saying it's not true, but you, just, you don't wake up one day believing it. It's, no, it just don't happen. It's, it's a process. It's a process. Sometimes, sometimes mm. it's just like, I've got to do it. The obligation of the fact that there are people that need help is what pushed me. Mm. And in the process, as I've evolved as an entrepreneur, hell yeah, I know I can do it. Hell yeah, the confidence has come because of the evidence that I have, that has, that is. So even when I said to you about, I know I'm now smart, is because there's evidence to show. Yeah. Confidence comes from evidence, yeah. things are seen. So the more evidence I've built up that I'm a good writer, I'm a good speaker, I'm a good this, I'm a good that, even if I can't say I feel it to the core, because I can't say I feel everything to the core, mm. but I know it. You wouldn't hear me say I'm a bad writer now because yeah. there's too much evidence to say otherwise. It would yeah. be very silly of me to say that. So as an entrepreneur, I'm now very confident as in having run a business um, for X amount of time. However, although I, 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 I started this business because I knew I had to, I had values. I really believed in a self-sustaining business. So I could have done a charity. You know, Why didn't I do a charity? Because I didn't want to rely on handouts, I didn't want to rely on government. I mm. wanted something that was self-sustaining. I want something mm. that I can invest in, and the business mm. can pay for itself. Mm, mm. You know, I, when when the pandemic hit, we were okay essentially because what our gov- our money didn't dry up because I wasn't relying on anything. Whereas all of the charities Maybe, shut down yeah, yeah. because everyone's holding money close to their chest. Now charities are amazing. We need them. But that was because of my value base. I always yeah. knew whatever business that I do that has social good attached to it, be you know, profitable. will be profitable yeah. at some sort because I really believe, uh, and particularly as black people, I think we will have too much in handouts. Yeah, we we yeah. need to be more self-generating. We yeah. need to come together, put our mind together, and mm. create initiatives, create businesses, mm-hmm. create funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where my value base comes from because I believe mm. we look at other communities, that's what they do. Mm. They put it together. Mm-hmm. When the riots occur, you didn't see the Turkish people complaining and crying. They've got they've got youth clubs because I used to work with a few Turkish people and they, basically they, they break things down to me like what they do in their community. I was like, wow. Mm. Mm. They're very connected. Like, very connected. I find that that's the trend amongst many other cultures besides black, unfortunately. We're getting there, though. We're, 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 I think we're on a journey. And especially speaking to different entrepreneurs and black entrepreneurs and professionals, I feel like there's, there's um, the want for us to come together and build and do things together. So I think that's important. But question, I'm interested. Was a software engineer with you a black person? Mm. And the blue tick you as well. Yeah, we had a good conversation, so mm. I thought it was a go. Obviously, in hindsight, God, God didn't want me to go there. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, I was really wanted. Yeah, he just blue ticked me. I got, just blue ticked so me. for those that don't know, what is frontline therapist? Um, w- w- why is it unique? Just so frontline therapist is an affordable count, um, affordable accessible counselling service for the Black and Asian and mixed heritage community. So essentially, you can receive counselling at a very discounted rate. So therapy at the moment, 
um, in the UK, most likely London, but definitely across, across the UK, on average is about £50 per session. And for some people, that's relatively affordable, mm. um, but for some people, that's that's absolutely a no-no. £200 a month, you barely have that you know, left over once you mm. pay everything else off. So you could essentially get psychological therapy for £30 per session. Mm. Um, now, of course, some people say, oh, but therapy's free in the NHS. It is free. But you're limited you only get it for what six weeks maybe maximum 12 weeks if you're lucky mm. um and you there's a long wait in this because there's more people wanting it than they can provide service for so you're in a situation where you could be waiting six months a year even two years sometimes to only get what six weeks of therapy mm. 12 weeks of therapy right and you can essentially work with somebody for six months to a year you know for 30 pounds for person per session so 120 pounds a month again for some people is a lot but for a lot of people it's just about right that they can yeah. kind of afford yeah so how does that work i guess to be more profitable if, if your competitors are charging 50 pounds 60 pounds how have you made it a business that is is actually profitable Partly because we're, 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 um, we work in combination with using students that are training. Got you. So that's okay. why it's affordable. Okay. And then we're online, so we're not paying for any major overheads other okay. than their supervision. Um, and then, yeah, paying the supervision and then obviously paying the staff that kind of, that, that manage the service and stuff like that. Okay. So that's kind of what makes it profitable. Okay. So the margins are not, not made, they're not major. They're not, they're not that massive margins. They're actually very, they pay VAT as well on top mm. of it. But it, there's, a, there's enough that it makes it profitable, right. but not it's not a great deal. So that's why it's a very socially driven, and when people start off with discounts, it's like, mate, discount on what? Yeah. The amount of money I get out of the 30 quid is probably 20 pounds or less than that, yeah. because you pay VAT on top of the 30. And I didn't put that on top. And then the therapist needs to get paid as well. No, the, the, train, the counselors don't get paid because they're in training. Ah, oh, um, okay, that's good then. But the out from 30 pounds, What's what's twenty percent of thirty pounds? Three times three, six. That's twenty six quid, right? Mm. Um, so you're left with twenty six quid, and obviously you pay tax. So you only really get twenty, basically about twenty quid from mm. every thirty that that right, that's charged. Because I don't, I include the VAT within that. Right. If I, I put the VAT on top of that, it won't be affordable anymore. I'll be, pay, I'll be charging people thirty six, thirty eight right, pounds. got you. So got that you. is, I I take the windfall essentially. Yeah. To my so that. Um, accountants are going like, oh, why why did you do that? I said we can't. It's not going to be affordable. Yeah. So that's why I understand why a lot of mental health services are charities. So when I did become a business, even though I don't regret it, I understand why. They are charities yeah. because they don't have to pay VAT. Because that right, VAT, yeah, thing, yeah. Every, every quarter, it's it's a lot. Then plus the tax. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. I'm seeing it slightly, ever so slightly now, and I'm like, oh, this is this is what it's like to have business, okay? Honestly, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's so frontline coaching is the one where you can put that business as well. You know, I can. I, I work for businesses. I can you do the VAT. I I ain't putting no inclusive VAT. Nope. Plus VAT. Plus VAT. Yeah, yeah. What's the so the difference between the frontline coaching and frontline therapist? I've read up on this, so I have an idea on this. But for those that don't know, what what's the so difference? Frontline coaching. Uh, it's under all frontline services. That's why it's got frontline. But frontline coaching is a data driven. Um, diversity and inclusion consultancy service focusing really on using data um, to I guess provide um, to inform the business's practices whether it's in well-being like what you're doing to help retain your staff what mm. you're doing to to provide well-being solutions for your staff what are you doing in terms of you know gender analysis mm. and specifically I'm really focused on black people focused, mm. and, and Asian as well but specifically mm. on black and Asian people mm. um, you know the ethnicity gap analysis mm. and then 
that is used to inform what solutions you need. So mm. if from that you realise that, oh, we need more culturally sensitive coaching or culturally sensitive therapy, or we need, you know, some um, work on how to be more inclusive in recruitment. Mm. So essentially allows the data to inform the evidence rather than mm. saying, oh, I think, you know, you might need me to come in and do a leadership training on why black people did it. Right. Let's look at your data First. and find out both qualitatively That's, and quantitatively yeah. what is the issue. Yeah. And then let that then inform the solution. Exactly. And then we can provide a solution to that. Do you know what? I say this all the time because I do DEI consulting as well, right? And I always say, when clients like, yeah, we need training on this or training on that I'm like let's understand you as a business first because we don't know what and why you need training you might be ahead you might be behind there might be different issues that we haven't identified yet so I always feel like that is such a logical way to, to do things data. like start with the data and the information that you Money's have data. Yeah. they look at how much money they gross their, their tax all of that the cash yeah. flow but when every when it comes to diverse and inclusion we don't want to look at data yeah. that's the most simplest thing yeah. you could be really good diverse but do people feel included you might be really good at being D&I exactly. but what about the B exactly. you know what I mean like there's, there's areas that will be missing yeah. look, even in certain black business I've been hearing some issues in some black led businesses as well yeah. you could be a black led business <laughs> anyway, no, no, it's true. The thing is, because it's not, it's not just about being um, identifying to be the same race or this part of the same group as someone. It's how you treat people. It's how, it's how you. It's literally how treating humans fairly and making sure people feel like they can be the authentic, genuine self without being bullied or feeling exactly. like or feeling like they're exactly. not enough. Period. It doesn't matter what race you are. Anyone can do it. Exactly. Anyone can be the person that's doing that's doing the victimization, but. Yeah. So yeah. So frontline coaching, frontline therapist, and there's one other service that you provide to. Um... Oh, so that's basically English Academy is the brand. Where okay. It's my personal brand where I'm a speaker, Perfect. public speaker, and I coach um, women of faith um, in their leadership and black women to just basically, um, you know, be confident and mm. to be leaders. And because I feel like I've got a bit of a different way, a bit like what I said, you know, with the whole idea of confidence, some people will do, you know, believe in yourself and that. that's good. That works for people. Mm. But I'm a bit more pragmatic and say like, look, you don't wake up like feeling confident. Then what do you need to do? I say, you don't feel it. You, you just continue going until you feel it. It comes. Yeah. Emotions go high and low yeah. I didn't want to come out my house today but I did I, just, I had to come out I had to come out my house <laughs> do you know how cold it is mate the wind was whipping well thank you I'm special do you know what I mean but I had to, I had to come I had yeah. to come through right? yeah yeah so yeah. I, I, emotions and maybe it's because of my experience you know even when I was depressed I still got things done um, mm. so you know I, I realised that emotions are sometimes need for here or there mm. you know life is a lot about a lot of it is about decisions that mm. you make the small mm. decision that you make that kind of compound into something mm. um, you know and if you can get your emotions to last so like right now mm. my emotions align with where I'm going and doing but it took a very long time for that to occur um, and happen so I think some people are waiting for this miracle thing to occur and this doesn't happen and it took years in therapy I'm still in therapy eight years on you know I see my therapist monthly I ain't letting her go until she goes so um, <laughs> If it's taking me that long, I must have taken everybody that long. Mm. But some people have gone through even greater trauma than I have. It's, mm. I always tell people, like, look, you can't go therapy and think one session, two sessions, ten sessions is going to deal with 20, 30, 40, 50 mm. years of baggage. What? Mm. It's going to take a very, very long time. That's the reason why I say that as you're dealing with that inner, inner unresolved issues, right? All of this kind of like just feel good in yourself don't make any sense. You have to make practical decisions. And sometimes you've got mm. to learn 
at being disciplined. That's my discipline is probably what helped manage my ADHD when I wasn't mm. diagnosed and I was just being emotionally liable, constantly mm. up and down. It Throughout that, it was my discipline, the concept, okay, go home and study, all of that, because how I've been able to do all these things with the way my mind is, is crazy, but it's through discipline. If not, I would be that typical person just like start one thing, finish that. So Yeah, and, and, don't, and don't do things properly. And then do, yeah, not, not a finisher, just a starter, mm. but because of discipline. And the biggest thing that has also has fueled me is my mum being, you know, my mum has suffered. And I think that mm. year 11 experience was so pivotal in my mm. life. No, honestly, mm. seeing her cry. The way yeah. I wanted beats that day, I was so scared to go home. Yeah. She didn't talk to me for a good couple of days. Yeah, that hurts even more, you know, when your parents are disappointed in you and they actually show emotion towards it that breaks my heart like that could break my heart instantly right Honestly. now even if she well. remember she was sitting there on my wedding day she was saying my child was it was so funny when she said that I was a good child <laughs> I was because they, they, they don't want to remember it I've decided like they don't want to remember it I'm just you know <laughs> and I, I hear it she's focusing on the positive she's so. not she, 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 she forgot all the time she went to school and you were bad I was like okay mum I like that narrative yeah I like that narrative but yeah that was I think a very pivotal moment in my life um, yeah. when she she was genuinely disappointed and I think good good on that it was necessary because if yeah, not, if she not really beat me, it may not have done the same. What you might have started fighting her back. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> with, 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 with your history, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I think her um, the disappointment was a big trigger to saying, "What am I actually doing?" Mm. Um, and that's again, I think I hope to encourage people that you know you might get triggered in your 20s you know you might sit there one day sometimes it's just life hits you yeah this crisis is going to get a lot of entrepreneurs mm. because you have no choice mm-hmm, you're, mm-hmm. You're, people are getting made redundant I've, from meta i've from been saying this this literally this week i'm just saying like because of this what's happening people are going to have no choice but to level up that's it sometimes it's not this whole like you know not everybody's a steve jobs or elon musk i don't know at age eight nine you're just geniuses some of us know yeah some of us are it takes just, it takes an experience it takes an experience to trigger, yeah. to trigger that and yeah. that's what you find um in my research um especially from marginalized groups like us mm. sometimes it's the, the thing about structure and agency because of the structures that are in place that are quite constraining mm. it's sometimes those constraining elements are what then make you entrepreneurial. Mm. Whereas somebody else maybe from like a more middle class white background, mm. it's the it's it's the agency. They mm. they they're able to, it's the enabling aspect yeah. that make them they've got all of this choice to decide to be I want to be an astronaut. Yeah. I want to be that. But when you That's go into is. a job and then your job tells you in a month you got one month you're now sitting there thinking, I've got to find something else to do. Yeah. That pushes you to yeah. be entrepreneurial. 100%. That's why you've got people in Caribbean 100%. and Africa so entrepreneurial. They yeah. have no choice. If they do not work, they do yeah. not eat. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I, f- I mean, I think that even um, this year I got made redundant and that, no word of a lie, gave me the biggest kick of my life when it came to like business and being like, okay, cool, what am I doing? How am I going to do this? Because I can go to another job, but it might happen again. Then what? Like, what am I going to do? Just be jumping around from job to job. One thing I wanted to know is about the process of you actually starting Frontline Therapist. Like, what what was that like for you? What did you have to do? How long did it take you to set it up? How did you find your therapist? Like, what was that process like for you? Um, So I always say what you start with isn't always what you end with. So what I started with 
you know, I, st- I literally always teach people, like, I started with just, obviously, Instagram, uh, Excel spreadsheet, you know, I had no website, um, and I was just matching people with therapists, and I was just find Manually? That, that manually, I was doing it manually. Wow. Um, and I realised that this is just really not as efficient. <laughs> it's not, it's, the money's not worth it. It's just, yeah, it just really wasn't efficient. And then... Um, when I decided that, okay, I'm going to use the more of the counselling service model with using, you know, working with the trainees and stuff like that. In this sense, you have to get the policies, you have to get, like, safeguarding policy, like, the key core policies. Um, before the pandemic, it was face-to-face, so, you know, negotiating with buildings to get a really discounted rate, because obviously at the time, I was charging, what, £20, £30, so it was like, look, if I, I can't be paying £10, I've got to pay, like, £7 mm. um, per hour finding supervisors so a lot of it's online you know mm. just going into directories and then messaging people and sharing people with my ethos what i'm doing and mm. people jumping on board saying you know what okay i'll work with that so i can work at a discounted price mm. um applying to universities so you've got to go through a process and mm. um, get approved you've got to be kind of approved by what we call the british association of counselors like a therapist mm-hmm. so once i went through that then it meant i can apply to universities and then they can send um, their students to my placement and then we will interview them so oh, it was I see. it's not actually the reality is it's not actually as difficult and in the many things it's just that people don't start and don't do it and mm. because most of the counseling services are run by mind big institutions have been going on for years mm. you kind of feel that me little old me can do this mm. um but isn't difficult what is difficult that any business is getting clients how do you mm. market the clients mm. you know why should the client come to your service right mm. how do they know about you and um i was probably the one that, I, I really was the first like counseling service to use instagram the way i used it mm. because majority of them use traditional routes you go through the gp you go through referrals from mental health teams you know right um and that's what i thought literally i remember my business plan was 70 percent traditional 30 percent social media but i was rejected from the traditional route so i had to rely on social media to get my right. clients I don't know why I didn't realise as a social worker I had to go through more processes, but I thought, oh, I'll just pop up to the GPs, give them my business cards, and they were like, no, sorry, unless you are approved by the clinical commission group, which oh, is the people wow. that give the funding of the thing. Yeah. And I, I remember, I literally remember driving around um, in my car, going to all of the GPs in Herringay, and I think about four o'clock, I started to cry, I was like, what, like, I mean, only two GPs took it. And I was just like, what am this I going is a, to a, do? A dead end. This is a dead end. This is a disaster. Yeah. Why did I do this business? And my friends were encouraging me. And I just said, well, I've got to just go on social media. And I've never looked back since. It's been social media that has propelled the business, to be honest with you. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't. I still don't work with CCG. So <laughs> I work directly to, yeah. the, to the customer. That's incredible. That's so incredible. And how big is the team now? So we are a team of, the core team is a team of like seven of mm-hmm. us. And then in terms of counsellors, we have about, well, we've gone, we've, we've shrunk now just so that we can consolidate. Mm. So there was a time we had like over 130 counsellors. Mm. Now we've got about 70 counsellors, about 200 plus clients. We had about 300 clients at one point. Um, but over the last four years, we've worked over nearly 2,000 people. That's amazing. So that's 2,000 lives that you've probably impacted. That's incredible. And that's what matters as well. Like Your profit is nice and having a big name is nice, but ultimately having an impact on all of those lives. That's what's amazing. That's yeah. what's funny because 
I spent four years hiding. So it's only really since August that I've actually started coming out. Coming out. And saying that, oh, by the way, I'm the founder. That's how... Um, um, I see my family because when I'm, I, I signed up on LinkedIn only in August, so I only created my LinkedIn in August. Oh wow! And then when I attached myself to Frontline, I think someone actually saw it. I was like, oh my god, I've been following your Frontline therapist page. I've got an event coming up. Oh, look at that! <laughs> and now we're here connecting Literally. the dots. That's incredible. Look what happens when you just put yourself out there. Literally, you know. And again, that's a, that was a process of healing as well because if you imagine like I said to you at age 13 I said I'm not going to go into drama anymore yeah um, I still did drama up until 16 but I'm not going to pursue it because I didn't want to be famous but that also came that, that really came from a p- place of I thought I was just too ugly to, to go into acting so Crazy. I said I'm not going to do that so anything that had any some sort of visibility I cut myself off from that so then obviously when I started the business mm. there was a bit of visibility but as soon as I could hide I hid and I, that's what I've done. So it's only really this year that I've come out. And the things that I've done in, in like a few months is crazy. So imagine if I was doing that since 2018. But yeah, I, I hid because of that very, I didn't want to be visible. But once I kind of realised that I need to be visible because I've got a voice out there. Yeah. And the people need to hear my voice. Again, it's not because I want to do. <laughs> it's because I have to do. Yeah. And that have to then become, slowly and surely, you begin to kind of enjoy it and think, mm, oh, shit, I like mm, to do mm. this. But I'm still going to be me that prefers not to be seen. But I do so because I know there's another um, young black girl that hears my voice and is inspired. Yeah, Because exactly. they watch other people and they don't, they don't connect because they hear all of the oh yeah you know believe and it's just like no that's not me I'm not that person I want someone to tell me the reels of the reels of the reels and I meant to tell you the reels of the reels of the reels yeah it ain't easy yeah mm. but it's worth it take each step um, day by day if you are feeling I say self-deletion if you feel that you want to self-delete if you feel highly depressed if you feel anxious you know I will say it's not only my service there's so many places out there First and foremost, you know, speak to your GP if it's not something that's urgent and immediate. If it really is, go, um, you know, um, 999. Speak to family members. Seek a therapist, whether it's at my service, um, mm. there's Barton. There's so many amazing organisations. The type of person I am, I'm a collaborator. So I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, 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 same. I'm, I'm, I'm at this. Barton, yeah. um, look, just message us. If, you know, if we can't support you, we'll refer you on. I don't want to make... that. I'm not a monopoly. There mm. are so many amazing counselling services in this space mm. um, that can support you. So if you just don't know, reach out to us and we can recommend Recurrenti. We can support you, but we can't others can so for those that are a little bit um not scared but have their reservations on doing therapy i myself um i'm so scared for someone to know so much about me that's my fair therapy and also i'm scared for them to tell me things that i don't want to hear as well what would you say to people that are like that because i'm sure i'm not the only one that feels like that what would Mm. you say you know what i say this is what i tell people i say this how long do you want to continue experiencing what you're experiencing, dealing with the stuff that you're dealing with? How long more do you want to continue that? If you've been dealing with this for years and it's not resolved, I always say, I'm not sure you're going to resolve it. You know, what, what's going to happen that's going to be different? Are you going to wake up one day and you have the keys and answers to all of the problems that you've been dealing with? So I would always say, what's the risk? Is it, isn't it better to see that this can potentially isn't it better to see there could be a different outcome at the other end of a process it is a very uncomfortable process I want no one to ever think it's a comfortable process it really isn't mm. you're paying somebody to listen to you it it seems counterintuitive mm. you think I'm paying you to listen to me 
But the amazingness of saying things out loud, mm. hearing somebody say it back to you, think it's like what I just said to myself. A few words of, so that's how you feel, or a few words of, so you hate yourself. Some of these things are so mm. powerful. You can't do it. There's no way. You can sit in the mirror and try and therapy yourself and you will not get the same result. Yeah. And I can tell you that because I went to therapy not because I wanted to. I went to therapy because I told I had to because I was doing a therapy course. So I, I ah. want to know the therapy because I, oh, I went. I, my, my therapist tells me, she's been a therapist for 30 years. I was one of the hardest cases. Can you imagine me? What? <laughs> I was one of the hardest cases. Okay, I was so defended again. All I said was, I don't know. <laughs> and I don't know. If I, if I got turned oh. down, I'd be like, oh my God, that was me. I was I don't know. She was talking about, I don't know. Oh, no. I don't know. I, know. I did not know. It took me like yeah. a year and a half, two years. So I would say that that's my journey. But I sat it through. Obviously, I had to because I was in the course. But I sat it through. And once I got into it, it, it was hard. It was really scary sharing her things that I felt were just the most embarrassing things ever. Mm. But she never judged me. You know, in all honesty, mm. I felt her, she like, she felt my pain. I felt her pain and my mm. pain and her pain. Like just seeing her face kind of crack when I said things and say, You're, you know, like, oh my gosh, it must've been so painful for you. That's, that's, that's the permission I needed just to say. It was painful, mm. finally somebody saw me. Mm. So I say to people, you want to be seen and if you're not you're not able to see yourself you need somebody to see you so what about okay so another reason as to why i haven't gone to, to, to therapy isn't that's a part of the reason so you've answered that but i don't feel like anything major has happened like for me to for me to talk about if that makes sense yeah. so i'm like do, is it that deep? Do I need to talk to someone? But I know there's different issues that pop up every now and then, but it's nothing major. Am I going to really underwhelm the therapist? Like, am I going to sit there and tell her stuff? And she's like, is this what you're upset about? You know, that's like that's what I think as well. I think I've, I haven't experienced, you know, sexual assault. I've experienced domestic violence, but I haven't really spoken about that because mm. I just I just think I dealt with it and I've, I've moved on from it. Mm. But yeah, for anyone that ha- doesn't feel like they've experienced anything major, what would you say to that? So that's the conversation I always have, and I, you know what I say. First of all, I say, amazing. Do you know? I think sometimes when this, when in this day and age, it's like people want to do trauma Olympics, like, and and I think because for so long trauma has mm. been suppressed, mm. you hear everybody's traumas. So those mm. that don't actually haven't haven't gone through major traumatic experiences, kind of then feel invalidated. Mm. But actually, I just want to say first and foremost. If you haven't gone through, you've had gone through maybe a very secure attachment, mm. that is the ideal. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what you, you want that. Mm-hmm. But despite that, they usually say that like, you're still going to have a bit of bent pennies. Mm-hmm. Maybe broken, mm-hmm. like trauma broken pennies, yeah. but it'll still be a bit bent. Yeah. And we don't want those bent pennies to be a bit more straight. So they yeah, can be flat. Yeah, yeah. And I would just say that you can't go through 30, 40 years of life go unscathed. It doesn't have to be major. I'm not talking about the big T's. Mm. Small things. You might, you know, and you could tell domestic violence is not a, is not a small thing. So that's a mm. big thing. Mm. But some people may have gone through none of the big domestic violence, sexual trauma, mm. you know, are that they just feel that they've just been okay. Mm. Uh, I never met a person who's just okay. Mm. So I've met a lot of people that say that. And then when you have therapy with them, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They come in literally saying, my life really wasn't that difficult, wasn't that bad, I 
and then after a few seconds, kind of worse. Yeah, kind of worse. Yeah, so yeah. I've rarely met a person that's the case. Now there probably will be a few people, but I would say it's because they disconnect with themselves. They're not connected that's, with themselves. And that's the thing because it's, it's actually interesting because as I was speaking to you. Um, and I was, I was saying, you haven't experienced anything major. And I was like, oh my gosh, no, I have. I've experienced that domestic violence and I've experienced other things. Like, I'm quite open as well. You know, being pregnant, having an abortion, all, all of those kind of things. And I don't, I don't, I just don't think about it. I just think, oh, okay, it's, it's happened. You know, so it's life. Let's, that let's people move on. were very good at suppression. Very, were genuine, but very, very good. good at suppression. Because we're so good at suppression and because we've been told, we've been taught, it's, it's, it's actually a badge of honour to suppress in the black yeah. community. That's why other people they haven't gone for anything. Yeah. Because our family's suppressed, our parents suppressed, we suppress. So if you are a suppressor, which a lot of people are, then you're gonna disconnect. So when someone says, No, I haven't gone through much, then you yeah. just say the, the, you just pull a little thread and you think oh oh okay yeah there is things that have gone through but because you're not partly connected to the emotions of daily life because if you were part of your mind thinks that you wouldn't be able to get through life so you have to suppress it so you can get on with life but actually in suppressing it you're just building it up yeah yeah exactly exactly it looks like I need to sign up to frontline therapist today you know get a little session in I'm I'm nervous like my heart's beating like someone's gonna know you I really think to be honest to say scary but it's like anything in life starting a new job like anything mm. in life you do it right because you need to you have to yeah. do it it's not always that you want to i'm not saying go to therapy because you want to go to go to therapy because you need to go to therapy because you do not want to perpetuate more trauma on your children mm. like our parents did and we get the situation yeah. they just didn't have the capacity but look at where we're at now because of the trauma of our parents who yeah. could they even deal with theirs we mm. need to deal with us so we don't have the we've already got this generation the next generation the generation z is scary mate the, the gen, gen z with half red and half white hair do you know what i mean the generation they call it generation alpha now and then when we have kids uh, that we are dealing with our ish yeah yeah that's that, that's really really important and i feel like it's i haven't had someone that with your expertise on this show before and it's nice to get the balance and actually talk about looking after our mental health because i think a lot of the time we speak about um making money working careers aspirations and all the great things but i haven't had someone as vulnerable as you to kind of talk about like your down down downfalls um, and I think what you're doing is incredible, oh, especially you. for um, the black ethnic minority community as well. I think it's incredible. Out of interest, one thing I didn't ask you is, um, why did you decide to coach women in faith, by the way, just out of interest? Oh, yeah, because I'm a, I'm a Christian, um, Christian, so I think it's important for me to work with people with that same, I guess, frame of reference. And I think a lot of where I'm, I specialise in is the whole idea of being multifaceted. So, meaning that you don't, you could be a wife, you could be a business owner, you can have a career. So, me, I, I still work as a social worker. I run. Oh, still two, now as well. Yeah, yeah. So, oh. I'm social work. I still, and I will always do that. I, I, I run two businesses. I, I'm a wife. I'm doing a doctorate. I'm a community elder in my in my fellowship. Were you? Yes. Is a lot of women, especially women of faith, feel that they can't. They can only pick one or two. Right. Roles, right? And, and I get some people, just some people can't, some people generally don't have the capacity, I get yeah. that. But a lot of people are multifaceted and I think as society growing up as women, um, we're told to choose. 
you were just we, implicitly were told to choose mm. choose your career choose marriage choose being a parent or even mm. if you choose your career choose that one career and that's it yeah why can't you do two or three things yeah. why is it one thing exactly so that's kind of my journey my journey was I became a social worker oh I like therapy let me do therapy oh I like this I want to be a coach I didn't stop I did, there's nothing wrong with sidestepping your career mm. but we sidestep because we don't think we can do both mm. now there's some there's some career that you can't maybe you can't be a pilot and a doctor but why can't you maybe once a month you do you do, you do pilot and you do a doctor I've met people who yeah, do that they, yeah. they, they do one role but they still keep on to part of their other role yeah well but, but the thing is we see it all the time I just don't think people process it like we see it in a lot of um, performing art careers exactly but not necessarily in, in normal in career careers. career careers but I think it makes sense though because a, I don't think it's wise to rely on one source of income, A. And I think that if there is something else you want to explore, then you can do it. I think the other day I saw um, Kevin Hart on Shark Tank, which is the U- US version of Dragon's Den. And I was for, I was like, well, what's Kevin Hart doing on there? And I was like, actually, hold on a minute. I actually don't know what else he does. Mm. He might, he might, he, yeah, he's got loads of businesses. And that's when I looked into him a bit more about his business side. I just know him to be a comedian and that's it. But actually, he's a big yeah, he's, that. there's a lot more that he does. So um, I respect that. And I'm really happy that that's something that you're doing because also I think there's a stigma attached to Christianity. I'm a Christian as well. So I think that sometimes um, there's a stigma attached that you can't do too many secular secular things or you can't be of the world too much when actually um, you can do things that are serving the mm-hmm. out, outward world you don't have to be if you're advancing God's kingdom some of us are not all of us are called to the, the, the kingdom of God is for is everyone yeah, yeah, as yeah. well yeah. and I think the idea that you just are within the four walls contained is is, is mistaken. You yeah. know, you do a lot of work. You know, a lot of belie- a lot of the things that we have, the hospital, yeah. the things, all started with Christians. Yeah, yeah. They weren't doing it in church. They were doing things for the world. Yeah. And me. now we've got schools and we've got hospitals. Yeah. So it's the same thing. You know, it's the Samaritans that came from that started with a Christian. All of these amazing things that we experience now. Yeah. So I feel there's this different extreme. The whole be rich, 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 prosperity, prosperity. Yeah. And and being poor is like a badge of honor. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's not our portion because I think God wants us to live a life of abundance, you know, and greatness. So yeah, let's let's be doing that. But exactly. um, but thank you, thank, thank you. you so much. In Gozi, I have to say it like that because it because it, it makes Ngozi. me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> well, the English people like in Gozi, in Gozi Chukuka. That's how you say it. In in Gozi Chukuka. Yes, I said it. I yes, said it. But, um, we call her Choma. <laughs> Choma. We call you Choma. But my name. We call you Choma. You know what? I've been told. No, I'm not gonna lie. This is the third time I've been told this this week. Is it? Yes. Is it ancestry. No, I haven't. No, I, I apparently, I'm, you, I'm, I'm Ibo, babe. Yeah, you will be Ibo. You will be Ibo. <laughs> I, I receive it. Yes. Call yes. me Gemma as well. <laughs> I'm like, literally the first person that's called me that this week. Ah, yeah. Give me you my Ibo name. Ibo man. Huh? You find something they, 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 they got money. <laughs> and they treat women really nicely, yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. Ibo men. They want to know demons. No, 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 no. We don't want to be angel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, want, I, I, I want just a good, a good, a good one, you know. Not advertising myself, but I am. Um, but, but, <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know but anyway um, where can everyone find you connect with you I know you don't like to be on the front line on the front line oh, uh, the easiest thing is to follow Ngozi Cadmus so N-G-O-Z-I-C-A-D-M-U-S I know Alicia will put it up in the in the staff yeah. and then from there go to the places Okay. so if you are an employer you know anyone that's working in the corporate sector um and you want a lot, you know that you need work in the, in the areas of diversity, especially with black talent and making sure that they are seen across all, all levels of business. Holler about your girl, I really want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if there's anybody that wants therapy, um, go to Frontline Therapist um, or go via Ingers Academy's Frontline Therapist there as well. Any Christian woman that maybe wants some coaching or any woman, any woman really that wants coaching confidence, you know, holler at me. Mm-hmm. Um, we have lots of resources to support people. So the best place to get me is Ingers Academy's and then you can go from there to other places. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and do you know what? I'm gonna add it to the podcast description as well, like any links and, and everything, so you can add it. It'll be like in writing over here somewhere, so you'll see it. Yes. But um, but yeah, you're honestly beautiful, beautiful soul, genuine, open, beautiful personality, face, um, everything. And oh, I'm so you. I feel really honoured that you left your place in the cold and came oh. down for me. <laughs> You know when it's so cold, your lips get so dry and you're just like, yeah, that's it. That's it. Well look. The, well, I guess that's the, that's the end of our episode today. But thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you, thank you. And um, yeah, God bless. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.